verses 30 through 37. It's going to be our main text today. We're going to stay pretty close to it. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee. And Jesus did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise the third day. Did you guys know this, that this was here? Did he actually tell them point blank what was going to happen? That they are going to kill him, that he was going to rise again the third day? Continue verse 32. But they did that, and they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what is it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and a servant of all. That's your kids. For anybody back in the children's room, that's their memory verse for today. All right. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. The Father in heaven, for these words, we are reminded of a Savior who knows everything. And despite that, with that knowledge, what is he doing on his way to the cross? He's preparing them, serving them, In doing so, reminding us why we're here. To worship you, to serve you, and in doing so, serving others. If we've forgotten, and if we've started to make the church experience with them, what's in it for me? And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would pierce, prick our hearts today and remind us. Remind us, God, and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to date myself by saying what I'm about to say, but some of you may feel dated because of it. I'm familiar with the TV show, but some of you actually grew up with it. I grew up with the reruns of it. Uh, there's a show in the 1950s that ended in 1960 called Father Knows Best. And with this TV show, Father Knows Best, it wasn't like the TV shows today where you would go to the father and the father's just as confused and messed up. And in, in this TV show, Father Knows Best, Father Knew Best. All right, if the kids had a dilemma, they would go to the father. 
in the TV show. They would go to him with their problems. He would observe their challenges. And as he would observe their challenges, sometimes he would speak into what they were going through. Sometimes he would step back from what they were going through. But by the end of the episode, there was no doubt in anyone's mind that the kids could have confidence in their dad. That is not the way that fathers are depicted in the TV culture, in the entertainment culture today. They are irresponsible, they are conveyed as being aloof and without a clue sometimes, but back then, in this TV show, Father knew best. Not only did the kids on the show have confidence that Dad would come through at the end, but if you ever watched the show, you had no doubt that by the end of the show, Dad was going to come through and that there would be a resolve and that there would be a solution to whatever challenges they were going through. And because of that, you have confidence when you know and you really believe that Father knows best. Because most of us are not going through the life as if Father knows best. Most of us are doing the Indiana Jones mode. And if you remember the first Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, that Indiana Jones was going to go after the Nazis, he was going to get the Ark back, and they said, how are you going to do this? And he said, I have no idea. I'm making it up as I go along. And that's how a lot of us kind of go through life. We're kind of making it up as we go along. Has anybody ever felt like that? That you're kind of just like, I have no idea what's coming next. I'm just kind of going with the flow, making it up as I go along. When we were doing the play recently, I hadn't directed a play in 20 years. The director of the homeschool organization, she was like, how are you guys going to do this with the lights? And I'd look at her and I'd say, I don't know. She would say, well, okay, well, what, how's this kid going to get on stage after this scene? I'd, I don't know. And she would begin to anticipate my answer to the question. She's like, let me guess, you don't know. No, I don't know. That was not giving her much confidence in what I was doing. All right, I was kind of just sitting there saying, okay, well, I'm just going to figure it out as we go. But when you know that somebody knows and you can go to them and you have confidence that they're knowledgeable, they know not only what to do, but how to do it, then all of a sudden you have confidence in them. What we see through this book is a bunch of people, men and women, that are being thrust into situations and they have no idea what the outcome is like. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. They have no idea what the, what the next scene looks like. Abraham has no idea how he's going to come down. He knows he's going to come down with somebody. He has no idea how it's going to go about. Wouldn't life be easier if we trusted the author that he does know? The things that you don't know, he knows. The thing that you're struggling right now, the area of uncertainty in your life that you're in right now, you don't know how it's going to end. But here's what you do know. And that's why we've called this He Knows. That's the simple title of our message today, because He knows. He knows what you're going through. And while you don't know how your situation ends, you don't know how this job situation is going to turn out, you don't know how the relationship's going to turn out, you don't know these things, but here's what you do know. You know him. You don't know who, what the future holds, but you know who holds the future. That's key, gang. That's key in being able to go through life with confidence, because how many of you have been in a situation where you had no idea how it was going to end up, 
And you, you sat there and you said in frustration, God knows. Anybody ever do that? Anybody from God knows? <laughs> I don't know. And what happens is it becomes this, it becomes a declaration of frustration. God knows. I don't know. I don't know. But what if we trusted the author, then it wouldn't be a declaration of frustration. It would more be a celebration saying, hey, I have no idea how this turns out, but he does. And that's all that matters because I trust him. And now all of a sudden we have confidence again. It becomes a declaration of celebration rather than a proclamation of frustration because you know that he knows even if you don't know. Does that make sense? And so... Trusting the relationship with Him. And the deeper we dive into relationship with Him, through our time in prayer, through our time in the Word, through just seeking Him and wanting to be with Him, the more I know of who He is, the more confidence I have that, listen, if I'm in this book, there's no situation that gets past Him. Nothing. Not even the crucifixion of His Son. Nothing gets past Him. Ever because he knows. And so we're going to start breaking this down now, starting at verse 30, where it says, Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. He didn't want anyone to know it. Here's what you're going to see with the character and the person of Jesus. You're not going to see attention-seeking behavior. How many of you have ever heard that term? How many of you has that term ever been used on? Right here. Okay. Attention-seeking behavior. Okay, you're acting in a certain way to demand attention. All right, I learned this with a special needs daughter, that there are certain things that she would do, and they were attention-seeking, and the behaviors would come in and say, okay, you can't pay any attention to that. Yes, I can. I'm dad. She said, no, you better not. It's attention-seeking behavior. And not only do you see it with special needs children, you see it with full grown adults. You see it with full-grown adults where the attention has to be here, but you don't see it with Jesus. As they passed through Galilee, he did not want anyone to know it. Because he knew the hearts of men. He knew that there were those who were following him just because of the miracles. They were following him just because of the scriptures they didn't understand, where they thought that he was going to walk into Rome, assume kingship, deliver his people, and because of that, there were certain things that they understood, and if they followed him now, most of them would be following him for the wrong reasons. And that's why we have to be so careful in the church today, the way that we portray the gospel. It's not about gimmicks. It's not about advertisement. It's not about the latest, grayest, and keeping up with the Joneses. What it is about is about the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's enough if it's understood. It's about the gospel if it's enough, and it will be when we understand it. He knew in John 2, after he had changed the water into wine, he knew that the crowd wanted to follow him, but it said he would not commit himself to them because he knew it was in the heart of man. He knew that the same crowd that was singing Hosanna as he uh, rode in on a donkey would be the same crowd that was shooting crucify him. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He also knew that the more they elevated him, the more the authorities were coming, 
and the inevitable was coming, and that was going to the cross. But he knew that that was coming, because listen to what he says next. Verse 31, for he taught, listen, he taught his disciples and said to them, the Son of Man is being betrayed. Into the hands of men they will kill him, and after he is killed he will rise the third day. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Listen, stop there. He spells it out to them. Not once, not twice, but there are three times in Scripture. He tells them point blank what is going to happen. I'm gonna, we're going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to kill me, but it's all cool because after three days I'm going to rise again. And you would think that these guys would have a clue at this point saying, okay, he said it three times because three times in Scripture is always God's way of kind of getting his point across. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He, he doesn't go to the disciples and say, hey, listen, guys, we're going to go to Jerusalem. Not quite sure what's going to happen there, all right? But I don't think it's going to be good. No, he tells them point blank. He's not, again, he's not speaking in parables. He's not speaking in riddles. He's telling them exactly what is going to happen. He's not saying, be ready for anything. He isn't on the fence about what's going to happen. It is for this reason he came. It's for this reason he came. It's our first of three simple points today. He knows exactly what's going to happen. See, how many of you have chapters in your life where it's like, if you knew that this was going to happen, you would have avoided it. If you knew exactly how things were going to play out, you would have said, you know what? I'm going to take a right turn here instead of a left turn. If you knew that you were going to go to work and you knew you were going to have the day that you had Friday, you would have said, if I would have known that, I would have called in. I would have done one of these things saying, uh, hello? Yeah, I'm really not feeling good today. By the way, when you call up sick to work, please don't cough. <laughs> don't. They know. All right, if you're going to call them, just call and say, listen, I can't make it today. Are you sure you can't? No, I can't make it today. But how many of us would have avoided the troublesome situations? You know what? If I would have known that I was going to get into this confrontation with this person, I would have completely just walked away from it, avoided it. He is going to a cross. He knows that all too well, and he is not, he's not trying to get away from it. He's being very clear with them. This is the reason that he came. This is the reason that he came. Does that amaze you about God? He knows exactly what's going to happen. He doesn't avoid it. Not only that, he goes towards it. When you have a challenge coming up, how many of you go right towards that challenge and you face it head on? See, he's the king. He knows the past, the present, the future. He knows exactly how the whole thing is going to play out. He's not avoiding it. He's not saying, oh, you know what, I, 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 I think that, I, that even if I'm going to do it, like right now, I just need to take a little while to myself. Because this would be the moment for him to be self-indulgent with all the things that he's going through, right? Wouldn't this be the moment? I mean, it's like if you sat here and you had to tell your friends, listen, I have to go to a cross, I'm, I'm going towards the surgery, I'm going towards this challenge, and I just need some time for me right now. I need a little bit of me time. I need to shut the ringer off. I need to not get on instant messenger. I need to not be on Facebook. I need some time to myself. 
Because you guys don't know what I'm going through. That's not Jesus. Listen, it doesn't mean that there aren't times that we kind of need to shut off the world. But if it's because of the pressure and the circumstances that you're going through, then what we need to do, if we're going to shut the ringer off, that's not a bad thing sometimes. But what we need to do is not sit there and sulk and meditate on the situation and on the garbage we're going through. What we need to do is we need to shut the ringer off and we need to say, this is me and Jesus' time. I need to press into him right now more than I need to press into anyone else. I need to be pressing into him because he's the one that knows everything. He's not sitting there wondering how your situation ends, going, boy, I didn't know that that was going to happen to John today. Ooh, wow. That kind of took everyone by surprise. Took John's family by surprise. Took John's wife by surprise. Boy, John's sitting there and he's scratching his head. Well, God's not. He knows everything. He meets the adversity head on. He knows everything that's going to happen and he is going Anyway, and listen to this, if you haven't meditated on this anyway, he knew exactly what was going to happen, and he went anyway, and he did it for the disciples, but he did it for you. We could leave today with that. We could leave today with that. He knew what he was going to go through, and so he loved you so much that he came anyway. He was nailed to a cross for you so that he could have what? So you could put your little, little 10% in the tithe box. So you could um, spend some time saying, well, like, I'm supposed to serve today, but I don't feel like serving. No! He did it for this reason. Because he desires the only thing that matters, and that's your heart. That's what he went to a cross for so that he can have relationship with you because he loves you. He knows everything that you've gone through. He knows everything that you're going through. He knows all of it, and he desires your heart. I've been listening lately, and it's just been resonating with me especially to a speaker that keeps emphasizing that we reduce Christianity, we reduce the message when we make it all about a destination and not about a relationship. We make it all about a destination and we forget transformation. What, are you trying to tell me for a second that Jesus died on a cross just so that we could do an altar call sometimes after church and somebody could come up and they could change their eternal destination but have no bearing on how they're living their life right now? Does that make sense to anyone? Because it's not the truth. He came for transformation, life transformation. That you might have life and that you might have it abundantly, but you don't have to die to get it. You only have to die to yourself. Daily to take up our cross. I don't know about you, but he knew everything I would do. And he went to a cross for me anyway. I wouldn't have. I know me. I wouldn't have went to a cross for me. But that doesn't change the fact of the matter that he did. Because he knows. He knows what a mess humanity is. He knows everything we're going to do. We have a book from Genesis to Revelation that says he knows the depravity of man and he went to a cross 
any way. From Genesis to Revelation, there are pictures, there are promises, uh, promises, there are prophecies. Promises. I guess that's kind of like a cross between a promise and a prophecy. I guess we could submit that to Webster's to see if they go for it or not. But what you have is a book that is saturated with truth. And this truth says that it was the plan from the beginning, knowing what you were going to do, knowing who I was going to be, that he was going to go to a cross for us. Oh, let that blow you away. Let that excite your heart. Because a lot of people have walked away from you for much less. And perhaps you've walked away from some for much less. But listen, when Jesus knew what you were going to do, what he still did, and you can look at John 13, it says, knowing what was going to happen, he loved them to the end. Do you remember what he did in John 13? What does he do? He washes their stinking feet. Peter, right-hand man, the big man, always making promises, always rushing into battle. He knows that Peter's going to deny him. Washes his feet. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. As far as we know, Judas was still at the table, washes his feet. He's going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. He knew the worst of who we would be, the worst of what we would do. He knew it. And he would still wash your feet. And we know this because he still went to a cross and he did it again. Knowing you because he loves you. There's no tragedy that has gotten past him in your life. There's no challenge that you've gone through. No accident. There's no illness. There's no job loss that God was not aware of. He knows everything. And he's got the situation under control. He doesn't need our advisements. He doesn't need our counsel. Because he knows everything. He knows exactly what's going to happen. January 2016, after 12 years of working at hospice, I make a decision because I believe that God is leading me away from nursing because they said, hey, you're going to have to work every other Sunday. And I said, no, I bet I'm not, and I'm going to quit my job. And so I did. And I had no idea where I was going to work. And a local treatment center called me up, and they were like, listen, we want to start a Christian program here. You want to start a Christian program? Yeah, we want to start a Christian program. We want you to run it. You want me to run it? Yeah, we want you to run it. So we went in there, made some mistakes along the way, did some really cool work, watched God change some lives, lives that are even part of this body today. Saw God do some amazing things February 2017, one year later. Drive up to work one day as if nothing's happening. I'm excited, getting ready to run some classes. Well, there are 10 cops in front of the building. There are 10 cops in front of the building. And if you've ever worked for a treatment center, you know this, that the moment you drive up to your treatment center and there are 10 cops in front of it, all the king's horses and all the king's men are not going to be able to open that up again. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there, but, but I was a nurse for 12 years and I thought you wanted me to do this and I thought we saw lives changing. And God's like, yeah, I did. I do. I'm aware of it. But what do I do next? I got control of it. Do you? 
Yes, because he knows everything. You see, if you really grasp that, that he knows exactly what's coming, wouldn't it change the way that you walked about your daily life? Would it change something? Would you have more peace? Would you have more joy? Would you be able to love people a little bit more? Because you had confidence that nothing happened to you that he wasn't aware of. Nothing ever. He tells them point blank, but they can't accept it. It says, verse 32, but they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. Okay, let's take the spirituality out of this for a second. How many of you have ever been in a class, say for me it was geometry, algebra 2, or physics? All right, and you sat there and the teacher was teaching and you sat there and you're kind of like, okay, okay. Any questions? No. No, none. But you had no idea what he was talking about. If you've ever been there, now let's make it spiritual. And now you're where the disciples are at. They're sitting there, okay, well, I'm going to die uh, after three days, but it's all good because I'm going to rise again. The disciples are sitting there and they're probably going, yes, amen, amen, amen. Yes, praise the Lord. What? But they have no idea. They didn't understand and they were afraid to ask. No idea what's going to happen, God. Verse 33. Remember that first point. He knows exactly what's going to happen. So if you don't, all you need to do is go to him. Trust him. Verse 33, then it says, he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, you would have too, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Stop right there. Have you ever had one of those conversations with someone that you just hope nobody else heard? And you're kind of just like in conversation with them, and you're kind of feel like you're kind of asking questions to, well, I wonder if they heard that or if they didn't hear it or if they didn't. Well, the disciples were having a conversation on the road after Jesus had told them, listen, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be murdered. Uh, you know what? In three days, I'm going to rise again. And with this kind of news, you would think, well, what would they be talking about on the road? What would you be talking about on the road? So here they are. And he asks them the all-important question, uh, what were you disputing among yourselves on the road? And I bet at that moment you could have heard a pin drop. Now, did Jesus already know? How many of you say yes? How many of you say no? He already knew what they were talking about. Why does God ask questions? Why does he ask questions? Why does he ask that question to Adam in the very beginning? Adam, did you do the thing that I, did, I told you not to do? He wants you to admit it. It's about admission. It is about confession. It is about realizing something. It is about testing. He has all these reasons that we see in Scripture. It says when they were going to feed the 15,000, he went to the disciples and he said, well, how are we going to do this? It said he already knew the answer. He was testing them. But he asked them to reveal what they themselves knew and what they didn't know. And so he asks these questions that he doesn't have the answer to. And it brings us to the second point. He knows exactly what's going to happen. The second point is he knows exactly what they're thinking. I hope this frightens us. I hope that this 
frightens us to know that God knows exactly what we are thinking. Mankind is kind of consumed with this. Could we read somebody else's mind? Who, I mean, which of the disciples wants to step up at this moment and say, well, we were talking about who's going to be the greatest? Who's the fool that wants to do that? Not even Peter is opening up his mouth. And Peter always opened up his mouth. But at this moment when Jesus says, what were you disputing about on the road? All the disciples are kind of like, John, you're the disciple he loves. Why don't you tell him exactly what's happening and what we were talking about? I'm not going to tell him. Why don't you tell him? Nobody's opening up their mouth because they should, rightly so, be ashamed of this. It would kind of be like this. Me telling my son, son, I'm, I have a terminal diagnosis. Dad, what are you going to do with the car? Okay? So I'm really sick. Well, who gets the, the china? Who gets the jewelry? Who gets the money? What's going to happen? The disciples, rightly, have just heard Jesus say, I'm going to be murdered. Okay, now we're having an argument about who's the greatest. None of you. If that's what you're arguing about, then you really don't get it. It'll be like me saying, Church, I've got some bad news. I've got six months, and you would say, PJ, who gets your Mustang? So nobody. So nobody gets it. We're going to bury it. You're going to bury me? <laughs> Love me less. <laughs> he knows, listen, he knows what they're thinking. And he knows what you're thinking. How many of you would like it if God projected your thoughts up here sometimes. When's he going to stop? Are we going to get the Cracker Barrel on time? And it was just your name, your name and what you're thinking up on that screen as you're thinking it, saying, PJ's talking to me today. He must have wrote this with me in mind. Okay, I'll fix him later. We're going to get his car next year again while it's his birthday. Uh, no, but you understand. Listen, he knows exactly what you're thinking all the time. You have people that know you very well. You have people that can finish your sentences. People. Here's the interesting thing. Well, Hannah is poorly verbal. She's mini-me. And here's the thing. She'll get a look on her face. And while she can't necessarily verbally communicate something sometimes, sometimes I know exactly what she's thinking because that look on her face she got from me. Because I know her that well. But here's what I don't know about my daughter. I don't know how many hair she has on her head. I don't know how many steps she's going to take in this life. I don't know that. As much as I know her, I don't. Now let me put it to you this way. What if people in the church knew what you were thinking about them sometimes? Well, this person, uh, they, they, they never stop talking. Or this person, oh, they're just so annoying. This person, I'm, I'm going to walk by them. I don't want to have to deal with them. What if people in the church knew sometimes how we felt? You would say, well, I don't even want to hang out with them. If they knew how you really felt, let alone hang for them, See, Jesus knows exactly what you're all thinking, and he still went to the cross for you. And so when you're looking at this person and you're thinking about all your struggles with them, I ask you one question. Would Jesus still have gone to a cross for them? 
And you don't want to sit with them to have chicken at a church potluck. You see the struggle because it's real. It has everything to do with what we're thinking. This is why the Bible tells us very clearly to take every thought captive. Well, they can't know what I'm thinking. No, but he does, and that's the only one that really matters. He knows exactly what you're thinking. And if the, if the gospel isn't a message that's not only changing your heart, but the way that you're thinking, then you might not be getting it. Because listen to this. If you truly had an understanding of this, what I'm about to read you, and I'm, you know, I, I'd asked you at one point to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139, the marketplace there. Don't. Don't. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. And I want you to just sit here and think of how your life would change if you believe what the psalmist was writing here to be the truth of your own life. He says, God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. Oh, yes, you shaped me first inside and out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, your breathtaking body and soul. I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something like an open book. You watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I even lived one day. Do you have anyone that knows you and loves you like that? Okay, note here. Note here. But my question to you is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because if you believed it, it would perhaps change the way we respond to the world, to one another, to the thoughts of who we were, what we did, to the battles that we have with our past, to all the things that the enemy is used to try to define us. God has said, listen, I define you. I define you. This is truth. This is the word of God saying, listen, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I know you. I knew you. 
That's transformational truth. That is truly a truth that can transform a life. That can take the things that you've been struggling with and holding on to so that you finally let go and say, listen, this is my identity in Him. Jesus knew exactly what they were arguing about on the road, and He's still with them. And He knows the darkest places you've been through. And He's still with you, and how do I know that? Because you're here, and not somewhere else this Sunday. You're still in a place where you can hear His Word and experience His grace. I read a great quote by Yancey this week. It said, Jesus forgave a thief dangling on a cross, knowing full well the thief had converted out of plain fear, that the thief would never study the Bible never attend synagogue or church, never make amends to those he had wronged, I added these next ones, never get baptized, never feed the homeless. He simply said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus promised him, today you will be with me in paradise. It was another shocking reminder that grace does not depend on what you have done for God, rather what God has done for us. And I hope that leaves you in stunned shock, what God did for you. That should be the thing that defines your life. So he knows exactly what's going to happen. That's the first point. The second point is he knows exactly what we're thinking. And the last few verses we'll look at today. says in verse 35, he sat down, called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him from his arms, he said to them, when he had taken him into his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. Stop right there. He not only knows exactly what's going to happen, he not only knows exactly what you're thinking, but he knows your deepest need. That's the third point. He knows your deepest, greatest need. God knows it. So, knowing what they're arguing about, he could have addressed them point blank. He could have just simply said, hey, why are you disputing over something so crazy right now, over who's going to be the greatest? He could have asked them point blank. But instead, he addresses it by saying this, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. Do you think at that point any of the disciples sat there saying, it's just not what I thought this was about. I thought that this was about us being elevated. I thought we were special. I thought that's why he chose us. He chose a bunch of stinky fishermen and a tax collector. He, he chose the unlikely. 
And we left everything. We left everything. Listen. When you know who he is, you know that you really didn't give up anything. And so, he says something shocking. You desire to be great and serve everyone. We're going to look at this in the story of Joseph tonight. Joseph had those dreams. Do you remember where his brother and even his father would be bowing before him? Do you remember Joseph's dreams, how crazy insane they were? He didn't realize how the whole thing was going to come into play. He didn't realize that decades before he became uh, the man that his brother and his fathers would come before. But in that position of authority, understand this about Joseph. He was a servant's servant. In that position of authority, who didn't he serve? Who didn't he have to serve? He had to serve the Pharaoh above him. He had to serve all the people below him. And Jesus is saying, listen, we need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves right now. Because if you keep on going with this mindset and making it about you. Listen, I am sad to say that in the church today, sometimes don't you think that we've reduced this message to what it can do for you. It's not about what it can do for you. It's about what he already did for you and why he did it. But the disciples are getting into that mindset. What's that? Well, I'm going to be the greatest. John, I'm going to be the greatest. James, I'm going to be the greatest. Peter, I'm going to be the greatest. All right, here we go. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. Years ago, there was a race car driver named Richard Petty. Anybody ever heard of him? All right. As 100,000 fans watched, Richard Petty ended a 45 race losing streak and picked up stock cars racing's biggest purse, $73,000. It all happened at the Daytona 500. Petty's win, however, was a complete surprise. Going into the last lap, he was running 30 seconds behind the two leaders. All at once, the car in second place tried to pass the number one man on the final stretch. This caused the first car to drift inside and forced the challenger onto the infield grass and slightly out of control. What happened next was incredible. The offended driver pulled his car back onto the track, caught up with the leader, forced him to the outside wall. Both vehicles came to a screeching halt. The two drivers jumped out and quickly got into an old-fashioned slugging match. In the meantime, third place Petty cruised by for the win. So these guys, number one and number two, they were on their way to winning. They were beating the snot out of each other. And off goes Petty. Okay, first place. All right, first place. There's an application there for the church. All right. We're here to serve one another. If we don't lose focus on that and what the church is really about. You see, this comes at a great time. As we hand out these papers about opportunities, well, they're like, well, this is what Pastor John needs. No, please don't reduce it to that, ever. Paul said it so clearly in his book to the Philippians. He said, listen, he said, our need became your opportunity. 
And if you understand this worship thing, then what you want to do is exactly what Jesus is saying. Listen, I want to see how I can serve you. This should be our question for everybody in this church. How can I serve you better? You should be asking him, how can I serve you better? She should be asking him, how can I serve you better? How can I serve you better? Because that's what the church is supposed to be about. Not what we can get out of it, but what we already became because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, you can imagine the disciples are kind of sitting there and nobody's answering, and so Jesus is answering them. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be the least in the servant of all. But now listen to this, and this is amazing. This pulled me away this week. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst. He's basically saying, listen, you serve them. You be more like them. You serve them, be more like them. And the disciples are probably sitting there saying, he wants us to be more like them. They should be more like us. He's taking the most unlikely example, putting it on his lap and saying, no, this is what I'm talking about, and this is what you're missing. He takes the most unlikely example, and if anybody understood this, shouldn't it have been the disciples? Because how do you think the world looked at them when Jesus, this up-and-coming rabbi, picked up these guys from their fishing boats and from their tax booths? Everybody looked at them saying, why is he picking them? Why is he going to utilize them? And now here, Jesus is putting the child saying to the disciples, you need to be more like them. And all I could think of was this. When you become a parent, you want your kid to be like you when you grow up. Right? Hopefully. There are some parents that said, no, I hope he's not like me at all. I hope they're not, nothing like me. But hopefully... Moms and dads, hopefully we come to a point where we say, you know what, I want my kid to follow my example. I want him to imitate me as I imitate Christ. But what we have to do before we do that is we have to become more like the children. So in order to have our children follow us, we have to become more like children. But please understand what this means and what it doesn't mean. It means becoming childlike and not being childish. How would you be described? People say, well, John, I, I want them to say he has a childlike faith. I don't want them to say, John acts like a baby. He's acting like a five-year-old today. You want them to say, listen, there's a childlike faith. I want to have that childlike faith. And I want to have that. And I want my kids to have that. And I want it to be about the right thing. And see, this is where the, the third point comes in. He knows their greatest need. Their greatest need at this moment is to have the child set before them and to take them down a couple of notches. You guys are starting to argue over who's going to be the greatest, which means you're losing sight as to what the main thing is. And if we're going to make the main thing the main thing, then you have to understand the root of it. And so he brings the child and he says, listen, whoever receives one of these... Disciples, John, Peter, James, Andrew, Bartholomew, are you ready to serve the least of these? Because if you're talking about being great, that's what this means. And that's their deepest need. You see, as a pastor, I'm going to be very honest with you. We've paid many electric bills without realizing that the deepest need was that this person needs to know that their money is God's and they need to know how to manage it. 
That was the deepest need. And how many times have you tried to well-meaning, well-intentioned, take a look at this person's need? Oh, I've got to, I've got to run in. I've got to save the day. No. God's saying once, forever, and always that their deepest need is me. It's Him. And if what we're doing is not pointing them towards Him, then we need to not do it. It needs to be, there needs to be a way that we bring them towards Him. Oh, Pastor, I'm struggling with this relationship. Well, right now you need to focus on this relationship. Nobody wants to hear that. Well, I'm struggling in this relationship, and uh, no. Right now, if you want to get that relationship right, you got to get this relationship first. And if you don't get this relationship first, everything else is going to be a mess. But if you get this relationship, and so everything we do is towards that end when we see somebody's need. What is the greatest need? The greatest need, once, forever, and always, is a relationship with the Father through the Son. Son's getting irritable the other day. About 8.30, and he's struggling, and he's having like his old mood swings, and he's like, oh, something is coming out of John John. And I'm looking at the situation, and he's saying, well, I need to do this, I need to do that, and I need to do this. And I'm saying, no, I'm dead. I know what you need. You need a nap, dude. You need your All right, you're tired, or you're hungry. One of the two. It's one of these things. I'm his dad. I know him that well. Your Heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. He knows where the true deficit is right now. Do you trust that? Do you trust that God knows what He's doing? Because if you start doubting it, that's why we come here, and that's why we go there. We go to the cross, we go to the Word, and we say, He knows what He's doing. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows what's going to happen, and I don't. I want to close you today with the something that went viral within the last week and a half. Keanu Reeves, talented actor, somewhat. <laughs> Very benevolent. Does a lot of things to help people. And He's been through it in this life. He suffered a lot of loss. And so he was on one of these late shows. I think it was Stephen Colbert. Is that how you say his name? Colbert. And Colbert asked him, Keanu Reeves, what happens when you die? Okay, as if all of a sudden, because of the John Wick movies and the Bill and Ted adventures, now Keanu Reeves has become the ultimate authority on what happens with life after death. There's a pause in the show. Stephen Colbert says, Keanu Reeves, what happens when you die? And he gets very serious for a moment. And you can see that there's a little bit of confusion as to how to answer the question. He looks him dead in the face, and almost with a tear in his eye, and understandably so for anybody that's experienced loss, he says, those that love you will miss you. 
Colbert himself, the interviewer, almost had a tear in his eye, and he was like, you keep your hand. And I don't mean to make light of it. That's true. But why are you asking Keanu? You'll never hear us in the church say WWKS. What would Keanu say? We won't. What does the Word of God say? It says this isn't the end. What happens when you die? Church, if we're not assured of that, because he knows. He knows the ending is what I'm saying. Keanu Reeves, all he knows is the pain of this life and the struggle. Well, those that love you will miss you. Yes, it's true. But if there's another half to that, those that you love you will be together with again someday. And that's the truth. And the world might not know it, but God does. And because God does, he's given this to you and you do. So what are you doing about it? Are we coming up with these ambiguous, politically correct answers saying, what happens when you die? People that love you are going to miss you. All God's people said, duh. Yeah. That's true. What happens when you die? Absent with the body means you're present with the Lord. And then there will be no knowledge deficit. And this is the confidence and this is the hope that we, the Christians, live in. So I want you to challenge yourself today. Whatever it is that you're going through, put it through this filter. He knows what you're going through. He's using what you're going through to glorify him and to grow you. Whatever it is, Whatever it is you're spending your time worried about and meditating on, he knows. He's got it all under control, and if you're a child that loves him, it's all good. Let's pray.